The second reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 4. I will read verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of God. The heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son or a daughter, and if a son or a daughter, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father God, it is you uh, that we need to hear from this morning. The people who have gathered here have not come to hear me. So we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your scriptures. I pray that you would be present here in this room by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray that that spirit would uh, prepare our hearts uh, to be able to hear your word. Lord, we know uh, that the scriptures have no effect without your spirit. So we pray this day that as your word is proclaimed, that it would go out with power and with effect. Pray that the arrow would fly straight and true. Lord, we are your people because of your word. It's because of your revealed word that we have been born anew. So we pray this morning that we would hear it fresh. And Lord, for those In our company this morning who are not yet part of the family of God, we pray that you would give them your Holy Spirit too. Enable their hearts to hear and understand and to respond to your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells the story of a young man who was raised apparently in comfortable circumstances on a farm with servants. This young man comes of age and he says to his father, give me my share of the family property because I want to move away from here. I no longer want to live under your 
roof. I no longer want to live under your rules. And so the young man receives money from the father and he travels far from home and he has a good time. I mean, to be young and strong and have money in your pocket, what could be more fun than that? But at some point, the money runs out and the suffering begins. And when the suffering gets bad enough, when the young man is reduced to eating pig food, Jesus tells us that he comes to his senses. And he says to himself, I can go back to my father. And you remember what happens from that point on. The young man heads back home and his father sees him a long way off and his heart is filled with compassion and the father runs to his son and he embraces him. The son, of course, has prepared a little speech for the father, but the father doesn't seem to hear the speech. Instead, the father immediately calls to his servants and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. We all know that story, and I think that story makes a lot of sense to us. But why? Why does this man welcome the prodigal with such compassion, with such effusion, with such joy and such celebration. Why does he do this? Well, because the prodigal is his son. The story only makes sense because it's about the prodigal son. We call it the prodigal son, but what if the prodigal were not a son? What if he were an employee? Or a neighbor. Would the story still make sense? The story makes sense to us because there is a special bond between a father and a son, between a parent and a child. We Christians call God our Father because Jesus did. And because Jesus taught his disciples to do the same thing. But when Jesus called God his father, people at that time got really upset with him. In John chapter 5, Jesus is getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders because he's healed a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus says to them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And then in the very following verse... We read, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he even called God his father. J.I. Packer, the English theologian and the author of Knowing God, wrote, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand 
Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name of God. So let's talk about God as our Father. The first thing we need to do is make sure that we are not harboring the common but silly idea that God is everyone's Father. It is true that God is everyone's creator. In fact, God is the creator of all of the devils in hell. God is the creator of the Antichrist. But is God their father? In the Old Testament, God is not described as the father of individuals, but he is called the father of the nation of Israel. God is the creator of all nations, of course, including the Amalekites, whom he ordered destroyed. But God is the father of only one nation, the nation of Israel. Then in John chapter 8, we hear a long conversation Jesus has with a group of people. We don't know exactly who they were, but he says to them, and I quote, If God were your father, okay, that's the subjunctive counterfactual. If God were your father, you would love me. However, you are unable to hear what I say because you belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out his desires. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So when the Bible talks about God as Father, and when Jesus calls God his Father, and when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to God as our Father who art in heaven, that word Father does not mean maker or creator. God is everyone's maker. But God is not everyone's father. That's a hard truth. After all, we don't choose our fathers, do we? What if I was born with the wrong father? What if, like those people in John chapter 8, the devil is my father? Well, let me first offer a hint that foreshadows the fuller answer, and then we'll take a look at the fuller answer to that question. The hint we find in another little speech that Jesus makes, another harsh speech. Jesus is very harsh in much of his preaching, and this little piece is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 16. We read, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. And began to rebuke him. Saying far be it from you Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter. And said get behind me Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Here's the foreshadowing hint. We know for certain that at some point, Peter comes to know God as his father. In the end, Peter was martyred for his faith. He was crucified upside down, and his spirit was immediately transported into the presence of Almighty God to await the resurrection of his body. At some point, Peter came to know God as his father, but at this point, when Jesus rebukes him, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, before the day of Pentecost, at this point in Peter's life, he is still a son of the devil. And he does not hear what Jesus is saying. And here's the good news. If it is possible for a man like Peter, a man whom Jesus called Satan, for a man that Jesus told to get away from him because he was blocking the work that Jesus had come to do, if it is possible for Peter to go from being a son of the devil to being a child of God, well, then the same thing's possible for us. All of us were born into the same family. We are all sons and daughters of Adam. We are all born into a fallen family, and part of our inheritance in this fallen family is enmity toward God. Enmity is the opposite of friendship. We are naturally struggling against God. By nature, we are fighting against God. This is just how we came into this world. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The shocking thing about Jesus' rebuke of Peter is that Peter, at that time, thinks that he's coming to the defense of Jesus. Peter is saying, I'll protect you. This bad thing is not going to happen to you. Remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter actually pulls out a sword and cuts a man's ear off who had come to arrest Jesus. When Jesus rebukes Peter and calls Peter Satan, he says to him, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is just a condition that we're born into. This is part of being sons and daughters of Adam, even in our religious life, even when we're trying to do the right thing. So how does Peter go from being a son of the devil to being a child of God? Well, the theological name for that transformation is is adoption. The last two Sundays we've been talking about justification. The Bible uses the term justification to describe how a sinner becomes righteous before God. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. When that happens, we are justified before God. Justification is not something that we do. It's something that's done to us. Justification is a legal term. Justification is the legal process by which someone is absolved of their guilt. Justification is a decision by the judge which 
cleans the slate of the criminal. That's what happens to us when we have faith in Jesus Christ. We're absolved of all of our guilt. We're given a clean slate in spite of how we have lived, in spite of the accumulated record of our life, past, present, and future. God, as the sovereign judge, declares us righteous. We don't justify ourselves, we can't justify ourselves, but God, in an act of sovereign grace, does justify those who believe in him. He allows the death of Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, so our sins are erased. And on top of that, he gives us the perfect righteous record of Jesus, so that when we stand before the judge one day, he will look at us and say, Wow, perfect, well done, my good and faithful servant. In our justification, our sins go to Jesus to be erased at Calvary, and Jesus' perfect, sinless life becomes our record. On Judgment Day, by faith in Jesus, we will have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. But the story doesn't end there. Because once we're justified, we are also then adopted. We are born into the family of Adam, but we are adopted into the family of God. How does God become our father? Well, he adopts us. Like justification, adoption is a legal term. Adoption is a legal process by which someone is made a son or daughter with all of the legal benefits that entails. It is the act of a judge by which an orphan is transformed into a son or a daughter. Anyone who has heard and understood and believed and received the gospel is both justified so that we have no fear that we will meet the judge on judgment day, and they are also adopted, so that our entire life becomes one lived with God as our Father, with all of the rights and privileges thereunto appertaining. The big benefit of justification is that we no longer fear the wrath of God. If we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, Hell is not for us. If we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we've been joined to Christ in this life and in all of eternity. But I want to talk about the benefits of adoption this morning. I want to talk about the benefits of knowing God as Father, not just as Creator, but as Father. A little later in the service, uh, in our affirmation of faith, we will use the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 12. It's a chapter on adoption, and it says this. God guarantees the adoption of all those who are justified in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. Those adopted enjoy the liberties and privileges of God's children, have his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are pitied, protected, and provided for, and disciplined by him as a father. 
They are never cast off, however, and are sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. There are about a dozen sermons in that one paragraph from the Westminster Confession. In the time that we have left, I just want to make a few notes on these different uh, lines within this paragraph. First, God guarantees the adoption of all who are justified in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, we read, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was blessed who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. I think that last line is the crucial line. To the praise of his glorious grace. That's the reason for God's plan of salvation. Number two, those adopted enjoy the liberties and privileges of God's children. In John 1.12 we read, But to all who did receive him, not everybody received Christ, by the way. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. Many, 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 many people who met Jesus in person and who heard him preach did not receive him. We have to not only hear, but we need, to, we need to receive. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We were not born children of God, but if we receive Christ and believe in his name, it is our right to become children of God by adoption. Number three, those who are adopted have God's name put on them. Jeremiah 14.9 says, You, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. If I adopt a child, that child takes the name Morrison, and that child is a permanent member of my family. The same thing happens to us by faith in Jesus Christ, The family name of God is given to us, and we can never be removed from the family. Number four, those who are adopted receive the spirit of adoption. Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father, this is important. All too often I see Christians, born-again believers, who continue to be plagued by a spirit of fear and slavery. They have all of the privileges of the children of God, but they're not living into the privileges. We are children of God. He is our Father. Number five, those who are adopted have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't have to be afraid to ask God for what we need. When my daughter Mia, she doesn't do this anymore, but when she was younger, 
she would often call out to me from her room or from the couch, and she would say, Papa, can you bring me a snack? And I'd make a little plate for her, you know, some cheese, some crackers, some pickles, and I would bring it to her. And you know what? I loved doing that. Fathers love giving things to their children and our Heavenly Father who is never too busy or never too poor or never too tired. He is desirous of giving us everything that we need and we need to call on His name and ask Him for these things. Number six, those who are adopted are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What father is not delighted to hear his child call him, Daddy, Papa? When we call on our Heavenly Father, it's like music to His ear. It's what He wants. Number seven, those who are adopted are pitied. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Sometimes when we're suffering, sometimes when we're hurt, we don't need someone to fix our problem. We just need someone to listen to us and to have compassion for us and to give us a shoulder to cry on. God is compassionate toward us. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about uh, the, the times when people would cry out to God and make a complaint to God and say, hey God, this is not good. This is an appropriate way to, react, to interact with God. When we are suffering, God uh, feels pity for us. And Jesus, who lived the life of a human knows our difficulties uh, with a deep sympathy because he understands our circumstances. Number eight, those who are adopted are protected. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I really wish we could believe that. I wish we could walk around thinking, yeah, Almighty God, creator of the universe, is my Father. No one's going to mess with me. There is nothing that can happen to me that will injure me. Fathers protect their families. Fathers stand between their families in danger. And while earthly fathers might let us down, our heavenly father is both strong and reliable. Number nine, those who are adopted are provided for. Jesus says, do not be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. Fathers provide for their families. Fathers stand between their families and hunger and nakedness. And while earthly fathers might let us down, our heavenly father is both infinitely rich and 
overwhelmingly generous. Number 10, those who are adopted are disciplined by God as a father. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God's discipline, it's not pleasant, okay? But it does keep us walking in the safe path. God's chastening, we don't enjoy it when it comes, but it does protect us from disaster. Number 11, those who are adopted are never cast off. In Hebrews 3, 5, we hear God say, I will never leave you or forsake you. So many relationships in this life are temporary. People come and people go. But our Heavenly Father will never leave us or forsake us. Number 12, those who are adopted are sealed until the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What this means is, is that our salvation is going to reach a culmination one day, that day when Jesus returns. Part of our salvation we experience in this life prior to the return of Jesus. Those things are important, but this life is only like one small part of the whole story. And when Christ returns, we're going to see more of the salvation that we have been offered. And we who have been adopted, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means that the stamp, the the ownership stamp of God has been placed upon us so that there can be no doubt about who we belong to. And on that day when Jesus returns, he will gather us up, we his church, and we will then experience the fullness of our salvation. This is just a foretaste here. Salvation is for all of eternity. Number 13, those who are adopted inherit the promises. Hebrews 6.12 says, We want you to be like those who, because of their faith and patience, will get what God has promised. The Bible is full of promises. And every one of those promises will be fulfilled. Number 14, those who are adopted are heirs of everlasting salvation. In 1 Peter we read, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has great mercy, and because of his mercy he gave us a new life. This new life brings us a living hope through Jesus Christ's resurrection from death. Now we wait to receive the blessing God has for his children. These blessings are kept for us in heaven. They cannot be ruined or destroyed or lose their beauty. That's the end of the quote. Salvation does start here in this life and in this world. We do have a new life in Christ in this life and in this world. But salvation is also an everlasting salvation and it will continue in the world to come. It will continue in a resurrected body. So what do we do with all of this? Well, I think that depends on where you stand with God this morning. 
I think there are three options of where we stand with God. You thought there were only two, but there's a third one. Number one, the first option is, is that we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We've been justified. We've been adopted. We've been born again, is the way Jesus puts it uh, in speaking uh, to one man. Uh, if that's your circumstance, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and, and have been justified and adopted, then I think the call to action is to regularly remind yourself of what belongs to you as a child of God. Think about this stuff. Remind yourself of the promises that have been given to you and begin to enjoy your life in Christ. Give thanks to God for all of these things that you have. That's one option. A second option is that you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't fully understand yet. Maybe you're thinking about it, but you haven't quite pulled the trigger yet. In that case, I would encourage you to pull the trigger, to make a decision. You know, today is the day when I am going to turn from my old life and turn to the new life. Jesus is the Savior that God sent to the world, and He sent Jesus into the world. God sent Jesus into the world because He loves the world. And if we place our faith in Christ, then our sins are wiped away, and we're justified. And then God adopts us into his family, and he gives us an earthly blessing. If you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, by faith today, make that decision. If you want to know how to do that, if you're unclear about that, come talk to me after this service, and we can meet together and pray together uh, about that. Okay? I remember the day that I did that. I went, I went to my, my, my father's office. My father was a pastor. One of the privileges of having a father as a pastor. Sometimes the altar calls at home. And I went to my father, and, and you know, I had been raised in the church, so I had heard all of this stuff. Uh, but in the fourth grade, it kind of, uh, it, it finally came together, and I went to him, and I said, what do I have to do to be saved? And he explained it the way that you would explain it to a, a fourth grader. And we prayed together, and in that moment, uh, Christ became my Savior. And finally, here's the third category. This might be some of you. Some of you have in the past placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You are born again. You have been justified by faith in Christ. You have been adopted into the family of God. But today, you find yourself really far away from God. It's your father. I don't know. Maybe... You and your father aren't talking anymore the way you used to. Maybe you're off doing stuff that you know your father doesn't approve of. Right? You're saved, but you're not living like a saved person. If that's you, my encouragement to you is just to run back to the father. That's the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is the son of the father. All right? And he's out there wandering in the wilderness of sin and missing out on all of the benefits. If you've been saved but walked away from things, come back. Run back to the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that uh, you are not just a judge, but that you're also a Savior. We thank you that you are not just 
the creator of the world, but that you are the father of those who believe in your son, Jesus. We pray this morning that the words of scripture would settle into our hearts. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each one of us, enabling us to, I don't know, either to live into the joy of our adoption or to go seeking our adoption or to return to the Father this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, pursue us uh, the way that a loving Father pursues uh, his children. We ask that our lives would be uh, good and sweet and that they would bring you glory. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.